Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. <coughs> if you recognize that the first one that hit, so that's, I found a new guy named Joshua Aaron. He's a Messianic Jewish man from Israel, and he puts out these worship songs that are just awesome. And like you get to sing some Hebrew, which is awesome, <laughs> which is really cool. So it was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, verses 17, 7 through 14 here. It says this, He told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves, when he, uh, he said, what, um, When you were invited to buy someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, uh, Give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, oh, friend, move up higher. You will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers or sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would have and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this morning that you would open up your words to us. Lord, let us welcome your word. Let us welcome your presence and what you were saying. Lord, you are here. The, the, the Jesus who is in this Bible, you, Lord God, you, Lord Jesus, are here with us here this morning. You have sent your Holy Spirit to be with us. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what you meant when you spoke these words. I pray that you would give us and teach us your heart as you, as you ex experienced, as you uh, em emoted yourself, Lord, emotionally. Uh, Lord, just open up your word and send your spirit for that we may under have understanding, but also that we would experience your presence here and your word here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. There's a term in uh, a colloquialism term in our world today. It's called being a Karen. <clears throat> have you heard this phrase before? They, they usually have the pixie cuts, pixie hair, hairdos. Right. And they're the one most likely to, to you know, when you walk into a restaurant, uh, they're the one most likely to say, can I talk to your manager? They, this is a colloquialism for an obnoxious, angry and entitled middle aged woman who has an innate desire to get her way or to police other people's behavior, usually to serve her own self-interest. Um, <clears throat> often making a scene over the uh, over the, the most uh, small inconveniences. Right. Um, is there something going on with the... Yeah, Uh-oh. Oh, no! Delete. Yeah, Let's try this again, shall we? Because we have some folks joining us online, so I want to make sure that they can join us here. Whoop. Yeah. Yeah, we usually have about seven or eight people that like to join us online, so... Let's try this again, shall we? All right. Okay, and this is why I have a backup camera. <laughs> um, 
So a Karen is someone who is most likely uh, just going to make a, a big scene over the smallest inconvenience. You know, I want to talk to your manager. You know, the, usually the ones that write the really scathing reviews on people's uh, you know, Yelp accounts or Google reviews over like some stupid minor inconvenience. Oh my gosh, it didn't taste right. You order something you never, don't, never do. Anyway, so this is basically a busybody who is malicious, ungrateful, and unmerciful to others in her ungodliness. Um, and so as, as we look into this, this phrase of, what, what of, uh, of a Karen and where is she living out of? A Karen is living out of fear. A living out of, a, of an over-actualized over sense of self-importance and worth. Um, because she's finding her, her he or, or he or she, because uh, it could all, you know, the male version of this is like a Peter or a Richard or, you know, there's several different names, right? These people who are operating out of this me and everything has to go the way that I want it to go. And, it, and things have to work out the way that I have envisioned them to go. And if I don't get my way, then you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear my displeasure about the one little small little hair in my food. I know someone who can't eat it. He has to throw it away if he finds one little hair in his food. I'm like, seriously, dude? <laughs> um, but Especially when it's your own hair. <laughs> could be your own hair. You know, but here, the thing is, so when we, as we're looking at this, um, this, the, this, this passage here this morning, we're, we'll get to that here in a second, but mostly that this is not, a, this is, this is not necessarily practical advice that Jesus is giving. Um, we'll get to that in just a minute here. But um, when we think about um, societies and we think about people's social behavior in environments of, of society, right? Um, there's, there's cultures around this world. And the one that, that we're looking at here is a, is a honor society. This is a you, you're honored or dishonored by what you say or do and how you interact in society, right? Um, so, so, so that's what we're talking about. This, this ancient Jewish culture is an honor society. So vying for position was normative in many cultures around the world then and now still here today. There, there are many honor societies all around the world. Arabic, country, uh, Arabic societies, um, Chinese, you know, Asian cultures are a, are a honor and shame culture, right? And there's people who are more than willing to shame others because it is a shame culture, it is an honor and shame culture. Like, for instance, right now, if you, if you uh, Google um, social credit system, China has instituted this since the early 90s, and it's, it, it's in a multi-stage thing, um, and they are very advanced in this stage of what's called a social credit system. You, gotta, you actually have a credit score, but it's, it's not just a credit score like your debt, your credit cards. It's a social credit system. Um, and so it's, it's like, it acts like a credit score here in America, but it can affect way more than just you getting a loan or a mortgage or, or another credit card. It can, it can influence everything from your, own, your very employment, getting hired somewhere, um, getting a house or apartment, like credit score here, but also access to certain universities, education systems, uh, restaurants, hotels. If you have a high credit score, you can stay in a fancy hotel. If you don't, you're like you know, shoved to the motel down the street. You can't even be accepted into a hotel, even if you have the money. doesn't matter. If you have a low, credit, a low social score, uh, but it also can be um, you know, an, uh, resist, re, uh, restrict your access to a whole bunch of different kinds of amenities. 
Uh, right. Um, but so basically, I read this on, on the, as an assessment of this system. The goal of the China social credit system is to provide a holistic assessment of an individual's or a company's trustworthiness. And so this is, you know, like it can, it can really rally into if an American company is trying to do business with a Chinese country or a com company, and they and the Chinese um, social credit system is ranking even Americans and American companies. And you can be ranked if you're trustworthy or not. And you can get, you know, and so you as an American businessman can get Chinese contracts or not based upon your credit score that they already have on you. Um, the farm, you know, the, the pharisaical system back in this day was very much like this, just not as technically advanced as, as China today. Uh, in this culture, avoiding shame was so important, was so vital, because it was your name was attached to your credit, your social credit score, basically. Um, <clears throat> you and your family, so your children and your children's children were associated to your name, to your <clears throat> social score. Um, eating and drinking with, with certain people you know, and, and not others because you didn't want to be shamed by sharing table fellowship with them. If you were seen you know, sharing table fellowship with, one, with a person, you were associated to that person and your credit score would go up or down based upon the credit score of the person who was there. So if you, this is why it was such a risque thing that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors letting a prostitute touch him. This was like really notching at Jesus' social score. <clears throat> In a, it, it's not a, oh, I would feel bad if I did that mentality of shaming others. They were more than willing to shame each other. It was vying for honor at all costs. Humanity was an innate, you know, we have this as, as humans, no matter if we're in a shame culture or not. We, we all have this innate desire to be wanted, to have the praise and adulation or, of others, not, you know, not simply out of fear. You know, we want to be liked. We want to be respected. We want people, when they think and, and talk about us, to think well of us, to talk well of us, to not, you know, our names mentioned, in, oh, yeah, that, that Josh Geiger, whew, whew. Man, I'll tell you what, he's something special, you know. <laughs> Versus like, oh, that Josh Geiger, man, I'll tell you what, he is something special. You're welcome. <laughs> but it's the, this is what, what was being tied into this mentality of trying to, to sit in the, the best seat. They're trying to kind of, in a, in a sense, kind of play their hand. Say, look at me. I am worthy to be liked. I'm worthy to be honored. Because here's the thing, when they wanted to choose the best seat, it wasn't just because they wanted to, just because they wanted to be viewed in the sight of others there, but what, the best seat was closer to the host. They wanted to be closer to their friend, to their host, the one with the honor, the one with the glory, to be closer to him, to be identified with him or her. You know, there, there's sometimes we can, in, in opposite <laughs> response to this, the human, human desire, we can even put on a gruff response to this. I don't need relationship. I don't need relationship. I don't need people to like me. 
you know, kind of running the other direction. I don't want anyone to like me. I don't want anyone to have a say in my reputation. I'm going to just like flee from them. I'm going to do my own thing over here. I don't care what everyone else thinks about me. I don't care. So we can go the quite opposite direction, either obsession or complete and utter abandonment of that mentality. Uh, maybe because at some point in our childhood or important develop, developmental periods in our lives, we didn't feel wanted. We felt the, the sting of shunning. We felt the abuse of maybe parents who gave us the stiff arm. Either literally, get away from me, or just verbally, lashing and abuse and just pushing people away by their words. Or by their actions. Maybe they're just never there. Maybe you had an absent father that showed that you were not wanted by his absence. Disliked. Unwanted. Shunned. Shamed. But here's the way that God wants us to understand and, and, and to engage with him and with each other. Is that knowing that you're wanted. And this is why we can be humble because we know that we are wanted. We can take that low seat at the table as Jesus is explaining here because we know that the host has our back. We're like, we're BFFs with the, with the host. So I don't need to be, I don't have to like try to take that place of honor because I, I feel comfortable with this. I feel confident in who I am and my relationship with the host that I can take the lowest seat knowing that he will ask me to, to, to move up, right? So I can, we can be humble. You can be humble because you know that you are wanted. We're going to unpack this today, but know that the way of God's kingdom is loving what God loves, not cowering to the cares and worries of man. So our meaning here this morning is, is both is two-sided, is knowing God's heart for you and not cowering to the fears of others. And so I want to focus on this for the time of our morning. Maybe. <laughs> Knowing God's love and, and you know, for you. Um, and knowing, knowing your place and, and knowing that you are wanted by God. Um, and also remembering that because we're in a different way of life, that we don't have to cower to the, the cares and the worries of man. So he told them a parable. So this phrase is, this actually sets this, puts the, you know, does the setting for our entire passage here this morning. He told them a parable. Now we don't necessarily take all these things in the scripture as literal. As, as, as in like Jesus meant, said this, therefore he meant that. Very specific, literal thing. Oftentimes Jesus has an entire different meaning than the literal words that are coming out of his mouth. Look at Revelation, case in point. <laughs> it is not a literal book. There's not going to be this great, you know, literal dragon or this literal this and that. It is a very figurative book, so you, you, book using imagery and, and um, pictures, parables, visual parables is what Rev, the book of Revelation is. Um, but, not, and I don't mean literal as in like real. These things are real. The revelation is really going to happen and has happened. But literal meaning word for word to association to association. 
And so, um, not that we don't do what he's saying. You know, it's not like we don't take this and it's as good advice. Um, but what, what we do is we look for the deeper meaning than what is on the surface intended. Right. Um, so this is, first and foremost, we have to know and read those words. He told a parable. What is Jesus saying? He's addressing the Pharisees and their need for pursuit of significance, prominence, and desire for adulation. You know, these Pharisees were looking for that attaboy. You know, from who? Each other. It was a religious system that gave one another attaboys. If you remember back in the spring, I think it was, or it may have been a long, long maybe a couple years ago now, Amberlynn read the story, you know, you are special with the Wemmicks, and they would give, you know, run around just giving each other stars and dots. If you did good, you got a star. If you did bad, you got a dot. People with, more, with stars got more stars because they had so many stars, and people with some, a few dots got more dots because, just simply because they had dots. Right? This adulation, it was the pharisaical system. Got a boy. Poopy boy. You know. But so they were running around doing these things and, th- and getting this adulation from, from mankind, not from God. Their actions of jockeying for position at the dinner here is indicative of how they were trying to do the same thing with God. They're fighting, striving to be the best. I mean, most glorified over everyone else. You know, God is the host, and they're all jockeying for position to try to get closer to him. By what? Cowering and, and, and putting each other down and fighting and striving, trying to be better than, holier than thou. Jesus is saying to them, don't try to push yourself forward in the sight of God. Why? Because they didn't know God's love for them. Their actions were, <clears throat> their actions were being done for, a, for man under the auspices of doing them for God. Like I said, like Jesus even said, don't, you know, don't when you pray, go into secret, in the secret place. Don't go out on the, the, the street corner like the hypocrites, for they love to be heard by who? Man, by people. For their long prayers and long drawn out prayers, right? The disciples slipped into this mentality as well. It's so easy. It's so easy to slip into this. Why? Because we can see each other. We can hear each other physically, tangibly, right? And so this is, you know, the, the, the disciples, as we see, we'll, we'll see this when we get to, to Luke chapter 22, uh, we'll get to there in just a second. But, you know, they're arguing about this. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? But how did you, I want to take a look at how Jesus described this. In the, so here's the, here's the argument. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. Again, closest to the host in the kingdom of God, right? But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them have themselves called, are called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. Highlight that in your Bibles. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. 
This isn't just one verse. There are several passages that basically say this very same exact thing. You will not lord rulership over one another. Stop it. Don't act like the unbelieving Gentiles. Outsiders, unbelievers. Because it's interesting that in this culture, and even in our, church, in our cultures today, even in the church, churches I've been a part of, some spend their lives, their entire lives, lording their power, their rule, and their authority over others. While others spend their entire lives being lorded over, yearning to attain power, rule, authority, or if they've given up. Because, well, I'm never going to be allowed into the cool kids club, so I may as well just stop trying. Life in our unbelieving world is about accumulating power and authority. Think about that. You know, everyone, it's, it's, a, it's a virtue. Climbing the corporate ladder, climbing your career, getting higher and more rule, more authority, more, more of, a, of a say in the company. It's, you're always taught, like, you know, stepping stone up, in, in, you know, up through the ranks. You know, start down here as the mailboy, and eventually you'll be the CEO. You'll be middle management, and they, everyone encourages you to keep climbing the ladder. We don't, we don't glorify doing a good job because it's your job. We glorify you doing a good job so that you can climb the ladder, so you can get more pay, so you can get more respect. We idolize certain jobs and vilify blue-collar jobs. Oh, white-collar job. Oh, yeah, I'm a businessman. I can do this and that. Versus we're like shunning the plumber or the electrician or the contractors. Certain jobs in our culture are shameful. You know, like the dirty jobs with, with you know, like on, on uh, was it TLC or the, you know, HGTV? You know, that guy did dirty jobs. Right? It's like, oh, I'm just doing this until I can get a real job. Because there's a shame involved in getting your hands dirty and coming home dirty and leaving it all on the table. We have a honor society even in America. It may not be as overt as China or, or the Arabic-speaking countries, but it's still there. Life in the kingdom, however, is about living under the one who has already attained all rule and authority, Jesus Christ. So we don't have to vibe for position. We have to strive amongst each other. Stop striving. Chillax, y'all. Which I just, it was, I was like this week old when I learned that chillax means chill and relax. Yep, sure does. How did I admit, how did I miss that? <laughs> I said it all the time. Chillax, mom. <laughs> chill and relax. So chill and relax in your faith. Serve. Seek to elevate one another. Not to dominate one another. Give each other a boost, not the boot. Be content knowing that you are accepted. Knowing that you are loved. Knowing that you are holy before God. The one who has all the rule and authority in this world. And he has called you holy. 
he has called you enough. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And why can we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to a holy God? Because we are holy and pleasing to God. We are the perfect sacrifice. And what is our, our sacrifice? Our lives. Our hearts, our, our spirit, our soul, our body, everything of who we are. We can give it to him for his use. This is your true worship. We can offer our lives as living sacrifices to God, not to become holy but, and pleasing, but to, because we are already holy and pleasing to God. And so this is, this is kind of a way to sum that up. Relational serenity brings invaluable generosity. This is what it does in our lives. This is what it does in our lives. When we know who we are, when we know that we're, that we're accepted, when we know that we are wanted, we know that we are holy and pleasing to God, this is what it, you know, that relational serenity that with God. That brings this ability to be invaluably generous, to not put a, a tangible mark on our, our ability to give because we know that it is immeasurable. You know, it's easy for the well-off and already powerful to imagine that they are and, and were in, the, in our passage today superior to, in, you know, to God in the eyes of the poor. You know, a Pharisee could look at themselves in, in the weird metallic mirror <clears throat> and look at all the other poor sinners and prostitutes in the, in the red light district and say, oh, I am more acceptable to God. Look at all the things that I do. Look at my long phylacteries. Look at how long prayers I give in the, in the marketplace. Look at these things. Look at this that I do for God. Look at all these things, the way that I'm striving. It was easy for them to look at themselves as better off. Since they viewed the poor and the diseased as deserving their poverty. You know, or, you know, or that they were under some sort of judgment for sin. I mean, case in point, think about Peter. Right? Peter asked Jesus, oh, what did this man do <coughs> that he was born blind? Well, Jesus like, no, that, you're, you're missing the point. It wasn't that he was born blind because of sin. It was, he was born blind so that I could get the glory. Just watch this. Hold my beer hold and watch this. You know, I guess it would be wine. Hold my wine and, and watch this. You know, it's this this understanding that, that this is why Jesus invites, he says to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. When we realize our, our place with God, the opinions of others don't matter. Yeah, back in their culture, they had these open-air houses. You may have like a drape or something or, you know, it was, their houses were a lot more primitive. They had like the structure with the open windows and people could actually kind of come and go. They'd walk around on, on a Shabbat night, you know, Sabbath night. Um, and they would just, they might hop into this house over here and, and share a meal, hop into this house over here to share some bread. You know, hop into this house over here just to share some, some wine. It was just a very social culture, a very socially engaging way of living, way of being. Um, and every Friday night, they would have the communal meal that 
people were invited to, <clears throat> right? And this is, um, and this is, you know, so it was a very relational culture. In doing what Jesus did and encouraged them to do, they could show and give value to others in their society, uh, because that society <clears throat> didn't value or see people's lives transformed. Jesus encouraged them to do all these things because he knew that when you spent time with him, you left changed. And that's why he encouraged people to spend time with one another so that you would leave changed. That's why Jesus invited people to him. This is why Jesus ate and drank and shared Shabbat dinners with sinners and tax collectors. They always left these dinners different. Either filled with grace or filled with malice. Filled with mercy or filled with anger. But no, no one ever left a dinner with Jesus unchanged. Indifferent. Why? Because Jesus treated people as the image bearers of God that they were created to be. When God says that you're enough, you could ignore all those people who say you're not. When you know that God will provide and supply your every need, you can give generously. When he says, I got you. You don't have to complain about finances. You don't have to hold those finances over others. You can be generous because your God is generous and loving. When you are content in the Lord, you are freed to give and to serve others. This is uh, what cultivated the radical and invaluable generosity expressed in the church in Jerusalem in those early days. This, this was the, 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 the motivation behind it. Because when you understand, not just like mentally know, but when you understand, when you get it, when that coin is dropped from your mind to your heart, when you get it, that God loves you, you are more free and empowered to love others. And like I said, this is, this is the way that it was in, in the early church. <coughs> now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. With great power, <clears throat> the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. So going back to our point here this morning, we can be humble because we know that we are wanted. We know that we are pleasing to God. We know that we are enough. We know that we have enough because our God is enough. And we know that we are part of a people, a family, maybe your biological family or your church family, that you know if anything happened in your life, dozens of people have got your back. Dozens of people have your back. 
We don't have to wrestle to get the best seat at the banquet table because we are confident in our place with God. We are with him. He is with us. And that's all that matters. When we feel confident in our most important relationships in life, we stop vying for others' attention and adulation because we already have our satisfaction from the one or the ones who matter the most, namely God. When we don't try to, to make up for it, you know, uh, when, we, when we don't feel like we have this confidence, when we feel like we don't have this relational connection with God and others in a way that shows us and reminds us of our true identity in Christ, then we, we try to do other things to kind of make up for it. This is where trying to impress others comes. You know, name dropping. Right? I've done it. You know, I've, I've done it. I'm like, oh yeah, I used to play with this person. I know this person. Oh yeah, I met this person. You know, I'm good friends with this person. I'm related to that person. You know? And almost in, this, in the sense of like, I need other people to think higher of myself because I don't have that b- emotional belief that I am import- important in this life. I don't feel seen. I don't feel known. I don't feel loved. I feel worried. I feel afraid. So I need to impress people so then they'll love me. Amen. I need other people to think highly of me. You know, someone rich or powerful or famous. Um, is basically saying, I am valuable because of who I know. Because of what other people, and I'm going to latch my reputation to theirs and how cool and famous they are to how cool and awesome I am. We can respond to being wanted by someone rich, powerful, or famous through comfort or conceit, contentment or pride. Like God, I'm like, hey, I know God, I know the God of the universe. I know this person. So I'm like, oh yes, um, look how awesome I am. Yes. Or like the, hey, I know, I know this, I know this person. He's an amazing guy. This, this is great, she's a great, great lady, you know. We can respond to these different situations in our lives with either poof, you know, puffing up our pride or humility. <clears throat> and, and pride. <clears throat> We need to be either content in who God says we are or desire to, you know, more self-adulation than God is willing to give us. Kind of sounds like the garden, doesn't it? Adam and Eve went and they took hold of the apple because they didn't think that, and believe that God had given them enough, that God loved them enough, that God was keeping something from them. So they needed to go around God to get what they wanted from something else. Pride is being self-satisfied as though the self-importance and the circumstances around us are the basis by which we believe that we are something. But it's interesting, all over the scripture, Proverbs 3.34, God mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. James 4, verse 6, but God gives greater grace for it says... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
here, here's the, here's, as, as we just end here, we'll just end in these, with this thought. You have the best seat. You have been given the best seat at the table with the Lord. Enjoy it. Stop striving. Rest. Joy in the Lord and your place in Him. Remember, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, often. It's not a belittling of yourself. That's a false modesty. That's actually pride. Because in the same way that you're name-dropping to try to get someone to you know, think more highly of you, oftentimes we self-abase ourselves so that other, think that other people will think that we're modest and humble. It's still a pride thing. The way that you be, are humble is that you think of others as more important than yourself. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we live in this posture, we will live from this posture. And when we believe it, when we know it, understand it, and believe it, and put it into action, when we believe it, we will live it. So know that you're, we can be humble. Why? Because you are wanted. Because you are pleasing to God. And live out of that. Live out of that identity knowing that you are loved and known and pleasing and wanted by God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth, Lord, this morning. Lord, remind us of our identity in you, that we are beloved of the Lord. We are your saints. We are your bride, your beloved. Us together as your church and us individually as believers, as those that you have chosen and love. And Lord, I, just, I, I pray here this morning that we would live out of that. Live out of that place, live out of that, out of the, live out of that and from that place and that position so that we can experience greater grace. Lord, that we would not be those who you resist or mock, but that we would be those who you give a greater grace to because we live in our true identity in Christ. Encourage us with that. Help us to recalibrate our lives and, and to see Give us that, that filter for our lives, Lord, to, to process through that, to see new opportunities every day, every moment of every day going forward, where we can see how to live out that identity, Lord, to live out that reality. Lord, show us that we are enough. Show us that we are wanted by you, God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.